so we've been in lockdown too. And um, I thought I would update you guys on the the cock wars with my husband. <laughs> so I, I obviously I talked about when I tried to buy the biscuits in lockdown one. And then he found it and it was, you know, my whole plan was ruined. Very upset by this. Okay. So I had, I've been waiting and biding my time till he least expects it to get him back again. Because again, it's just the back and forth. So um, for his birthday, which was recently, he wanted a, a, like a Reese's peanut butter cupcake. So literally it was just a gigantic Reese's peanut butter cup. Incredible. (laughs) the size of a pie. So I know it was, it's actually really, I hate baking, hate it. And I don't do it, but it's actually really easy because you're really just sort of like melting some chocolate and it's, it's actually pretty easy and you don't actually have to bake anything, which is amazing. So my daughter's helping me make it and we're like getting to the end of this. And I was like, Ooh, this is it. This is the moment. So I was like, I'm going to have to draw a massive cock in this before it sets. You put it in the fridge and let the thing set. Obviously my daughter is six years old. (laughs) Not appropriate, okay? So I told her that we were going to, why don't we draw a cactus? Like a little cactus on here. And we kind of made it like, (laughs) it wasn't my finest moment as a mother. I know. So we did that, right? Okay, so then I take the foil. You know, you I'm covered up and I've got to put it in the fridge to set. And I was like, right, I'm going to leave it in there overnight. His birthday's the next day. I'll take it out in the morning. And then by the time we're going to eat it, it will, like, have, like, softened up a bit so it's not, like, rock hard. Well, unfortunately, he had then in the night – or not in the night, but, like, later in that evening I didn't notice. He had not realized I had it in there. And he then set something on top of it, which then no. pushed the foil down all over the whole thing. And in doing so, it then set – there, there was no cock. It was like, oh no! Oh, I'm sorry, you lost your penis. <laughs> I know, I lost my penis again. Again, the plan was foiled again, and I just <sighs> third time lucky. You'll get him. I'm yeah. gonna get him. It's gonna happen yeah. one day. Lockdown three. You get him. Oh yeah, lockdown <laughs> three. That's my time. <laughs> oh, actually, talking of penises, I saw this the most horrific thing on. I think it was like on Instagram. And I'm sorry for sending you cursed images that I find on the internet late at night, but that's just, it's more of a reflection on my mental state at the moment. Um, I found this, it was an advent calendar, but it was um, like a thin piece of wood, like upright, and it was in the shape of a big dick. And it had holes in it that you put Ferrero Rocher in it. Oh my God. And then the balls, you put two Terry's chocolate oranges. (laughs) I love it. And I was like, oh my God. I think I found the one. (laughs) (laughs) I wish you had informed me of that before the first, because that could have been a brilliant present for next Christmas. I don't know whether it is like a full advent calendar or whether it's just like a novelty chocolate holder, but it was was, was disgusting. Well, I know what I'm searching for when we stop podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) Your algorithm is going to be so fucked up. I know. (laughs) Damn it. It's like serial killers and dicks. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Murder Friends, the podcast where three friends from three different countries talk about murder. My name's Alana, and I'm Canadian. I'm Anna, and I'm American. My name's Hannah, and I'm British. So sit back and relax. You're among friends, and let's talk murder. 
how's everyone doing with everyone doing with their Christmas prep? Ugh. Christmas makes me so anxious. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many lists of ideas and it's all separated um, in columns. I have things color coded. I have dates on Ooh. things because certain things need to be shipped to Canada by certain times. And Christmas makes me very anxious. And now because Kent is in tier three, tier three is kind of like a fake lockdown, really. Like you're not really supposed to be out. So I've been trying to get everything online and unfortunately, uh, because my partner and I live together, um, so I mean, he doesn't listen to this, so I'm going to say it. I bought him a box of, it's like an assortment of different beers and Ooh. it comes from all different countries and they're different types of beers, whatever. And I thought, oh, you know what? That sounds like cool. We'll crack open this box. There's like 15 different types of beers. Ooh. Cool. Nice. Merry Christmas. Um, I ordered it. I didn't realize that they ship, like, next day. So the door rings. He answers it. He comes in carrying this giant box. And it says all over on the outside, like, the company <laughs> and the beer and everything. I was like, oh, right. fuck. He's like, why did you get this? It's like, oh, I, you know, I got it for myself. Like, I thought it would be fun. And you try to backpedal, but it's pretty obvious. Oh, no. So Christmas makes me anxious and paranoid. And I make too many lists, but most of my presents, I think, are are almost done. It's tricky, though, when you can't, like, browse like you used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I've done ver- – yeah, I've done all mine online, too, because basically, yeah, we've been, we, uh, yeah, tier three, we get to open the shops, really. But, again, it is sort of – it's a fake lockdown, <laughs> like, mm. it's really nothing. Like, okay, the shop's open, I think. Oh, actually, the gym's open. Thank goodness for my sanity. But other than that, you know, you can't see anyone. You can't go to a pub or a restaurant. It's just not, it's just not the same this year. But um, we have our packages sent to a friend's shop um, rather than our home address, just in case we're not in. So we have all of our packages, like, diverted there nearby. And they today I went in to get something, um, and they were taking the piss out of me <laughs> because now the, 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 the male guy – started taking the piss out of me when he because he's brought so many deliveries for me in the last like <laughs> I don't know four weeks that he's just he started to make and then yeah so I just got roasted for it and I'm like it's not really fair because I do I sort of organize and order all of like Will's family's mm. stuff and he's got a big family so I just I feel like it's not fair I was judged unfairly <laughs> <laughs> I've been really organized this year I did um I made advent calendars for my family and like posted them all off at the end of November, and now I'm feeling very smug. Wow, yeah. you look smug. Now. I'm so yeah. I'm just it. like the smuggest person you'll ever met. You love me. <laughs> I'm just I just got nothing else to do now. And then I had that like delightful phone call with my mother, where she basically said, "None of you are coming for Christmas because she can't pick the bubble because yeah. she's got like four children. It's her own fault." Um, <laughs> and she was just like, "Well, none of you are coming then." And I was like, "All right." I thought you were just going to pick your favorite, but yeah, I've got like nothing else to do now. (laughs) You're like, okay, great. I did my Christmas food shop. I already ordered. It's coming in the end of December. It's going to be great. Amazing. You are. Someday I I aspire to to be like you. (laughs) That is good. Um, You did a really good job with those, your advent calendars that you made. They're very cool. Yeah, I crocheted little tiny like ornaments for each one. And obviously I've got like three siblings and I did one for my parents as well. 
So that was like a hundred ornaments. Oh my god! I had to put together, and like my wrist is is making this disgusting crunching <laughs> noise. It's like I almost think that I might need to go and see someone about it. Oh my god! I'm hoping it'll be okay. <laughs> You're like you better love these because I I've, I've got permanent well, carpal di- like carpal tunnel. Carpal tunnel. <laughs> now. Well, it was it was hundred percent my very own fucking fault. Christmas. I started, yeah. <laughs> Help me. Um, I started in August because I was like, oh, I've got loads of time. So I did like a couple and then I just completely put it to one side and just didn't do anything. And then at the beginning of October, I was like, oh shit, I should probably get onto that. And then again, didn't do anything for two weeks. So like the end of October, <laughs> I was like, oh, I should probably crack on with that. And I did I did the majority of it in like two and a half weeks. So it's my own fault. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. That's good. It's glad it's done though. At my house. Not my problem anymore. I'm just, I'm now like, I'm nearing being done myself, not far off, and um, I'm now just dreaming of all the Christmas cheese. Mm. That's getting me through this time at the moment. Sorry, I went off into the I know. cheese dream then. <laughs> we were just like, really quiet. we were just zoned like, out then, we were all just like, ah. Oh. Thinking about that cheese. <laughs> what foods are you guys looking forward to? Mince pies. Oh, yeah. Just, I am who I am. We've already had this argument. We, I'm we surprised know our stance. friendship lasted another year, to be honest. But. <laughs> Anything but the mince pies um, or the Christmas pudding, which is really yeah, just same. a mince pie, but in a different shape. Same. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Okay, I feel like this is probably the time we should, we should bring this up. This, you know, this serious conversation that we need to have about celebrations and quality street mm, yes oh elena you you had put up a while ago on your socials yes a bit controversial i found i don't know how it came about i think okay so we had a quality street tin that i that i started getting into and then i thought i wonder like statistically what's the most popular so there's actually a YouGov chart that you can go look up and we'll post it i'm sure somewhere oh my god and it shows the breakdown of all of the quality street chocolates so if you if you're not british quality street is like a tin of individually wrapped chocolates and they're all like different colors so some people are like oh i love the green triangles or i like you know the blue whatever and the chart i found on yougov has them broken down to the the most popular least popular (laughs) and anna then messages me that little did we know her favorite one is satan's own choice the coconut <laughs> oh my god which which is the bottom of the tier the the worst one statistically it is the worst one but not to anna <laughs> it's literally my favorite one yeah i know i like coconut like give me a bounty it's I like, love it's a like bounty. yeah so it's like a little tiny like chewy coconutty thing isn't it covered in chocolate like oh, tiny heavenly. yeah not gonna lie i would also eat that <laughs> but oh because i am a 90 year old woman my favorite in i didn't co- catch that oh, could sorry. you try again shut up Siri. i'm not talking to you mate my favorite in the quality street tin universe are the um orange creams or the oh, strawberry gross. creams oh, I'm those ni- are the, i told you worse. i told you i'm a 90 year old woman i like shit like that they're okay 
<laughs> Alana's like tearing her hair out. She looks like she looks and oh, she, oh, she's gonna beat us. Coconut, either Quality Street or Bounty, is dirt. Is just not good. <laughs> Fruit flavored chocolate is also not good. Not as bad. Like anything orange, raspberry, strawberry, chocolate flavored. No. No, I agree. I agree with you on that. It's, it's disgusting. I don't want a coconut. I don't want an orange chocolate. I don't want any sort of strawberry raspberry business. I want a green triangle. I want something that has like crunchiness to it maybe. You know, like a Ferrero Rocher is like probably top tier. You know, you've got your chocolate. You've got different textures. That's my two cents. I will die on what? this hill. <laughs> what is the the green triangle is like a praline isn't it yeah it's like a harder uh milk oh. chocolate how do you say that yeah. elena okay well we could say praline Uh-oh. okay we say praline as <laughs> <laughs> a praline but i feel really um self-conscious about saying praline so i usually just don't say it <laughs> say just a one. avoid that in regular so you just conversations describe it. you describe it can we <laughs> Can we agree, though, that the people who like toffee pennies are probably worse than all of us? <laughs> I'm just surprised that quality... Okay, here's another thing that's probably... I shouldn't say it loud, but I'm going to. Quality Street as a tin are all quite low quality. <laughs> Which is ironic, <laughs> considering the name. <laughs> quality Street. <laughs> There's a reason that none of them are sold individually. They're not like... <laughs> You know, at least Bounty, you could buy a Bounty because it's popular enough on its own. Quality Street is just kind of like a bit of just regularness. Yeah. The, so the celebrations, right, are the ones that are like the name, the named candy bar. Name yeah, brand and candy Heroes. Bars. The Hero, is it Heroes? Okay, that's right. Yeah. But Quality Street is just, you just know them by color. So like the pink round ones. That's right. Or yeah. the green rectangles. I think the purple one is actually called the purple one. Shocking. That is its, like, official name. So what is ranked the best one? Do you remember? I probably should have looked at that before. <laughs> you were blinded by my answer. I'm of- so shocked that Anna comes in out of nowhere with, I love the coconut one. <laughs> I actually bought a, um, if you go on the Quality Street website, because I'm very sad. You can get a personalized tin. <gasps> And I got a tin person at last. <laughs> I love it. It's great. Incredible. You can put anything on it. I'm assuming you can't put swear words, but you can probably put anything on it. I'm going to try. <laughs> Did, didn't you say you can also, like, get individualized, like, flavor ones? Like, you yeah, can get you all can, purple ones if you want. You can whatever. pick, like, what chocolates you want in them. Wow. So you could get an entire tin of coconut ones. I was going to say, I know what Lana's <laughs> getting for Christmas. <laughs> first likes coconut ones. <laughs> Okay, so I am doing true crime news this time, and we've had some pretty heavy episodes recently, so I thought I would try to find something that didn't have murder in it, although this will probably lead to deaths, but maybe it's a bit less grim. Anyway, there's been a really embarrassing story going around in Toronto lately, um, which I feel, as a Canadian, it's my duty to bring this forward because... Even though it is embarrassing, 
It's pretty fucking ridiculous. So police in Toronto have laid charges once again. This is not the first time. Police have laid charges once again after attending Adamson Barbecue, a restaurant in Etobicoke, which is like basically Toronto. They had been ordered to close after defying public health rules and allowing in-person dining despite the provincial lockdown order. So Addison's, I don't know why I can't say this name, Adam Sun Barbecue is getting charged like as a, as a restaurant establishment because they keep opening. So people were eating indoors, people were eating outdoors, basically nobody had masks on and they were not spaced appropriately. And they were very well aware that they were not supposed to be open because they have already received charges previously for defying you know the public health rules geez they're so they're just basically like not listening to the government they're just like they're basically like fuck you yeah (laughs) so toronto police superintendent dom sinapoli said at a news conference that owner adam skelly and the restaurant faces nine charges including a violating indoor dining rules holding an illegal gathering and guess what Operating a business without a license. In general, I don't think Adam is too concerned with laws or rules. So the police were were asked, you know, what are you going to do if Skelly decides to open tomorrow? And they basically just said, tomorrow is another day. And they're going to take enforcement actions based on what happens. So embarrassingly, there were crowds, which is so... I wish there wasn't, but there were. The restaurant closed around 1 p.m. after serving dozens of customers. Basically, he, Skelly, the guy, had a discussion with police and decided to close down. But there were, uh, there's crowds. <laughs> there's crowds of customers gathered to eat inside while there were uh, police. And um, there was like a rally outside of at least 100 people to basically show support and protest like lockdown orders and that kind of stuff. The article says that crowds outside the business were asked to leave, although many also left as it began raining. (laughs) So sucks to be you. Um, I love they, that. they say that nobody that was rallying was charged or fined. They're just like, can you please go home? Like, barbecue is not worth it. <laughs> One day after this, uh, this particular lockdown in Toronto came into effect, Skelly, the restaurant guy, vowed in an Instagram post that his establishment would remain open despite the new health me- measures that prohibit in-person dining at restaurants for at least 28 days. So obviously these lockdowns, it's the same as the UK, Canada's dealing with certain lockdowns as well, especially in the Toronto and Peel region, they're having the worst cases. Um, and he's basically like, yeah, fuck you. Uh, police are asking for a maximum fine of $100,000, oh but God. who knows if that will actually be paid or not. Um, the other thing, what I thought was interesting with this, like obviously it's deeply embarrassing and it's wildly frustrating. But they also talked about how the city was not really satisfied with the initial police response. So um, 
the inspector police guy told reporters that due to the sheer amount of people inside the restaurant, police did not have the ability to go and inside and remove anybody. So they're basically like, there's too many people. We can't like we can't go in there. It's not safe. We can't take people out. We can't remove anybody. But of course, then they say, "Ooh, maybe that was a bad call. We should have acted sooner. So there's a lot of like, it's like the police aren't really sure what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do, or they don't even really want to get involved. You know, you don't really, do you, do you really want to go into a crowded restaurant where people are eating without masks and like try to remove people? I, th- I think like that's fair. Like if you're not, don't have enough people. And also I think it's, I know that like it was this issue here in the UK where the police were, <clears throat> it's like a weird fine line between like, you know, um, it being like an authoritative state. I don't know. There's a name for it. I'm not, uh, you know, where people get their back up about it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you can't tell me, you know, with freedoms and all that. And, and I don't know. It's like a weird place for the police to like be to be enforcing that. Yeah. I feel bad for them. Like, it's not something you'd want to have to deal with. Yeah. And also, like, do the police actually have capacity to do it? They still yeah. have their everyday jobs to do. Um, and it kind of blurs that line between what is criminal and what is like a civil offense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they were also talking about how, um, so Mayor John Tories, the mayor of Toronto, he was told about the restaurant and he said that police were not satisfied with the initial response, blah, 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 blah. But then reporters are like, well, aren't you going to do anything? And he said, well, it's not appropriate for a politician to direct law enforcement. It's up to their department to determine charges and enforce the law. Like We can say this is the lockdown rules. But it's the police that are are the ones that are laying charges. It's not the mayor. You know, I'm not supposed to get involved in that way. We even had... So, we have um, a premier called Doug Ford. I don't know if you remember his brother, Rob Ford. Rob yeah. Ford was the one that was snorting a lot of cocaine and seeing a lot of <laughs> prostitutes. And he very sadly died. But his brother got elected as premier even after all that stuff, which is just hilarious in itself. And maybe that should be a true crime. We need to keep this family, like, in politics. Keep it going. Like- <laughs> mm-hmm. So the other issue on top of all this stuff is that there's not a real clear line in terms of what is the policy. So during a news conference, Doug Ford said he was not going to, quote, start pounding on a small business owner when the guy's holding on by his fingernails. So that kind of seems like, well, we're not, you know, we don't want to be too hard on small businesses. But then you have businesses that are openly defying the public health orders. So then he says, oh, no, you know, you need to shut down. You're putting people's lives in jeopardy. This is how COVID spreads. Like, don't be ridiculous. But then on the other side of all that, the article, and I'll, I'll post uh, the sources, they also talk about how a lot of small businesses, at least in Canada and Ontario, are upset because the big guys like Walmart are allowed to be open, but small businesses have to be closed. And so they're saying, you know, I have creditors knocking on my door and I can't pay them because I'm forced to close. Obviously, restaurants like Skelly's should not be open, but we need we need better rules and enable for us to make some level of money because yeah, big, big guys like Walmart, you know, my mom's going to Walmart, get groceries. 
but smaller places have to shut. So overall, it's deeply embarrassing. <laughs> Thankfully, a lot of customers actually went on social media and was like, I go to this barbecue place all the time, but I'm actually really disgusted. I'm never going to go back. Um, you're being extremely reckless. Being open during a lockdown is shocking. You know, you could have done takeaway or takeout. But to open and to be so irresponsible, like, I'm never going to go back. So at least there's some level of Canadians who get it. (laughs) But, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Not only do you have a restaurant that is publicly defying lockdown, but also the idea of, you know, what do the police actually need to do? And what do we need to do for small businesses? Because this is going to be around for quite a while. Yeah, I think stuff like that is starting to happen everywhere because I think people are getting desperate now because it's gone on so long. Yeah. That, like, mm-hmm. everyone's getting – and, like, obviously the guy's a dick and he shouldn't <laughs> he shouldn't be open and shouldn't be – you're right, he needs to take – find another way. Um, but part of me, like, feels just bad for anyone who owns any sort of small business that has just been forced to close for months on end without, you know – it's just, oh, it sucks. But yeah, it's like, come on, man. You have, and also people are, you, you can see it here in the UK, like even when you're out in town or something, just going doing some shopping. Like I think people are starting to like lose, like the, the you know, everyone, of course everyone's tired of it. We're all tired of it. Nobody's like happy to do it, but you got it. We got to like, we've got to do it. It's um, like pandemic but, fatigue. I think. Is yeah, there we go. It. I know. And I think people are just like, oh, well, obviously this is a conspiracy because like, you know, yeah, um, get into the five G conspiracies. I know. Oh, it was, yeah, we don't. Re- you know what? Where are those five G people right now? Because I don't hear about them anymore. Well, they attended all those rallies and got COVID. So <laughs> yes. oh, okay. Got- also, I want to know how good is this barbecue? Yeah, no. I kind of by the it. looks of Adam, I would not trust him. And okay, there's other posts. There, this whole story, <laughs> I swear to God, is so big for just a restaurant being open. People were posting, like, why would you even bother going there because their health inspections suck? And so they're posting, like, uh, images of them, like, failing certain parts of their health inspection. Like, they've got mice, like, that kind of shit. So by all accounts, it doesn't seem like it's that great of a place. And also, please just stay home. Order takeaway, you know, from your favorite local place. Support your local businesses where you can, but please do not be going into a restaurant to be eating right now. My God. Okay, so today we're going to review a seven-part podcast called Canary, The Washington Post Investigates. Did you guys both listen to this? Who wants to go first? <laughs> you can no, if you want. No, just, just a yes or no would be fine. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I did. Yeah, you, yeah. Both, yes. you both did, right? Yeah, yeah. All of it, yeah. Awesome. Great. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually, I don't want to necessarily go into the whole thing, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of kind of talk about the first episode and sort of go from there. So it's a, like I said, a seven part podcast hosted by investigative reporter Amy Britton of the Washington Post. Now the first episode of the podcast tells the story of Lauren Clark, a hairstylist in Washington, D.C., Lauren was out jogging in a local park. Okay, sorry, I just meant to say disclaimer. Um, this does involve um, sexual abuse in it. So, like, if it's not for everyone, definitely, if that's something very triggering for you, do not listen. And it's very, this is a very heavy podcast. Just disclaimer. So she was out jogging one day in a local park, 
and she was attacked and sexually assaulted by a stranger. So she was hit in the face as well as taken down. The stranger's name is Jairo Cruz, um, and he was a prominent local chef. So she was able to get away from him and scratch his face. Um, he was actually arrested quite quickly, and as he had actually attacked another woman that day, he eventually confessed attack- attacking six women in the D.C. area. We then sort of follow the story through the D.C. justice system, where prosecutors ultimately charged him only with misdemeanors, and the judge, who was Truman Morrison, sentenced him to 10 non-consecutive days in jail to fit around his work schedule. I know. And um, 80 days in a halfway house and five years of very strict probation. So obviously, um, Lauren Clark was disappointed at that because, you know, this was a really violent attack um, and she does describe it it is awful and it is really scary especially because it is just a stranger she's out jogging and someone you know hits her attacks her just out of the blue and you always kind of hear like the scary part is is like whenever we listen to a lot of these serial killer stories it's just kind of one of those things that you know that people start with and then progress and it's just it's really frightening so um, after his conviction, uh, Clark began to see Cruz around town, and he also gained a job in a well-regarded restaurant in the D.C. area, so his career started to progress even further, and that restaurant was a block from her apartment. Mm-hmm. So Clark continued to follow Cruz's probation and found out that he was moved off of supervised probation after four years, but without an explanation. Apparently, his probation had been mishandled, and he'd never been sort of supervised properly at all. When this mistake was discovered, the judge decided that there was no use in going backwards and sort of commended him on doing well so far, apparently, like with sticking with um with his job and everything like that. So Clark Clark is like not not having it. She says she decides she's gonna fight back and she notifies the restaurant he worked at of the assaults and starts passing out flyers around the neighborhood bars, restaurants, everything. Like, she wants people to know what this man has done because it seemingly he's been able to attack six women that they know of and um, get away pretty scot-free. Um, you know, not even his, you know, his reputation wasn't ruined or anything with work, nothing. Um, he's actually progressed in his field. So Amy Britton um, investigated this story and wrote an article and it was obviously the name of the judge who I mentioned earlier, Truman Morris, and that was featured in the article. Um, And obviously there is a bit more to it. I'm just going to kind of like brush through it. Um, It's really worth a listen. Even if you only listen to that first episode, it's kind of an entirely different story to what the whole podcast really centers around, which is really interesting. So she investigates the story and the article went out in in the Washington Post. And I'm sure you both have seen plenty of articles by the Washington Post. It is an American newspaper, but I mean, you tend to see um, they do quite a lot. Really good newspaper. So after this article came out, this is when Carol Griffin from Birmingham, Alabama, reads the story and contacts Britain um, by email. And so she has information about the judge in the case. And it's a bit of a bombshell sort of at the end of the first episode that he sexually assaulted her when she was 16 years old and several other times in her life thereafter. This is when sort of the podcast takes a bit of a turn and Britain starts to investigate her allegations against the judge and in the next uh, six, five to six episodes is re- really more about that and Griffin's story and her lifelong difficulties coming to terms with the sexual assault that's haunted her for an entire life. 
Um, it shows the repercussions on coming forward with the allegations just for her own life and her family and her parents. And in the final episode, Clark and Griffin meet and are able to share their stories and how their their stories had helped each other in coming to terms with their own assaults and moving forward in their lives. That's sort of a brief overview of this podcast. And I have to say, it is a very heavy podcast. It was absolutely, um, it was very, very good. It was a, It was so well done. In my opinion, Amy Britton did an amazing job of telling this story in a way that, um, where it wasn't, it's almost like it wasn't opinionated. Like she didn't latch onto these allegations and say, right, he's, I'm going to go after him. I'm going to go after this judge. It, it wasn't that at all. It was far more about, I thought she did a really good job of like um, investigating, doing a well-rounded sort of investigation with his mm-hmm. friends and his family. She reached out to him and she did speak to him several times by email. It's like she did a really good job of literally kind of standing back and letting the tor- the story almost kind of tell itself in a way. And I have to say, I think I cried like three times listening to this podcast, at least three. Um, it was just a very raw, like, um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm losing, I don't even know what, what to say about it. Um, you guys, what are your opinions? I thought it was incredible. Anna, you had brought this podcast up as, like, a, a potential that we could listen to. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't really want – I don't know if I want to listen to a sexual assault story for seven episodes. Mm. Like, Christ almighty. But you listened to that first one. And I remember I was, like, doing the dishes or whatever. And it comes out, you know, well, actually, the judge in that case sexually assaulted me. And I was just like, holy shit, what the fuck? And then at that point, you're just kind of – at least I was very much hooked on it. And like you say, the journalist does such a good job at just telling the story. She doesn't really dramatize anything. She doesn't exploit really anything. It's just this is what they said. And I really like that she talks about how. So she get here's the allegation that this judge allegedly assaulted this woman. So she talks about, well, this is what we have to do and we need to find evidence of her telling the story to other people. We need to find maybe physical evidence like letters or photographs. We need to talk to everybody in that circle. So it was very much like an investigative, unbiased sort of look at that story, which I really appreciated. But yeah, I remember I was sitting on the couch doing like mindless work so I could listen. And I just started crying, like full, Mm. like tears crying, not just like, you know, the back of the throat kind of thing. It was like a full on cry. It was so well done. And I, yeah, one of of my favorites this year, I think. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. It was, I think it was that first sort of story, like Lauren's story. It's genuinely horrifying. And it's almost something that I think every woman I know fears. You know, you're walking home or you're, you're out doing something, you're minding your own business and you're just like brutally attacked, like unprovoked, like sickening attack. And then to have so little justice for it, it's just, it's mind boggling. And it's, I always feel, feel like it's a, um, like a normalised fear. I feel like a lot of women are like, and when, like, if I've spoken to them, if I've spoken to them before and I've discussed like walking home in the dark with like my house keys tucked between my knuckles and you hear that voice next to you going, oh, I do that. And it's like, it's not fucking normal. Like mm. it's mm. the most unnatural thing to do. But um, it was fantastic. I sobbed. I literally like tore my headphones out and cried at one point. Um, I think it was when Amy was 
um, Amy Britton was explaining to Lauren. Yes. That the judge who failed her had these allegations of sexual assault himself from Carol. And, like, you hear you hear that sort of absolute, like, crashing wave of emotion come out of Lauren. Mm. And it's just like that, like, those, those like, deep inhales of breath and she cries and it's just like, holy fuck. It was yeah. so visceral. It was gut-wrenching. It was really moving. But it was handled so beautifully and it was sort of done so delicately by Amy Britton. It was just well articulated, really powerful and exceptionally respectful. 10 out of 10. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, it mm. was everything both of you said, I completely agree with. And I think we, we all three kind of got had the same experience listening to this, just how moving it was and how, um, yeah, it, it, I just can't, it, it's perfect. I guess this story happens all the time, unfortunately. Both of those stories would happen, especially, I would say, Carol Griffin's story. But just the way it was told and the way that even how it um, affected her entire life was shaped around this. And it was just um, even down to listening to her parents talk. And, they were, you know, and just the judge was actually, you know, one of their best, best friends. Oh, and when the mother flew to D.C. to confront when, – when Carol finally reveals this assault to her mother, she was 30 – at the time now, she's 60, I believe. And, um, yeah, so she – it wasn't until she was 30 that she told her parents finally. And the, her mother flew to D.C., got off a plane, had to meet her there and confronted him in person because she wanted to see his face when she said just all of it. It was very it was very good. Yeah, so I said we're going to rate this <laughs> 10 out of 10. Definitely one of the best of the year. Very good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I almost feel like it kind of – went past entertainment like a lot we mm. listen to podcasts a lot for entertainment it went past that like entertainment barrier and went into just like pure storytelling mm. 100% yeah it's not a yeah it's not um and it, yeah it was pure storytelling I think it it's not of, a, it's definitely not like a light listen either but no. it was just it was so good it was very and it was um similar it reminded me a lot of the two of S-Town and the Ballad of Billy Balls where it stops becoming about entertainment and more about storytelling and like raw human emotion that you feel mm, that yeah. is that you felt both of those podcasts I had felt I felt something listening to them it literally I reacted to it and that is definitely what's happened with this one as well so if everyone check it out like I said we've all said it's a very it's it's heavy um but it is just so well done weird crime time. So sometimes I struggle to find a good weird crime time. And then I remember that I should check the Oracle, which is Kent Online. <laughs> it's regional news for Kent. As <laughs> I the journalism. Love Kent Online. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. I think anyone's like regional news mm. outlet, like Kent Online. I don't know what other ones are called. I think one there's one in Devon called Devon Live, but you know that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I find the journalism just exquisite. I find it fantastic. <laughs> so from Kent Online, we have road signs described Kent as toilet of England in protest by anti-Brexit group EU flag mafia. So What? <laughs> is, it, is it, as I said, the journalism is so good that they're like... <laughs> you also get in, inundated with like 40 ads just on one page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 10 ways to lose body fat. Yeah, yeah. you know, go on. <laughs> um, so... 
the story is this. So concerned of the effects that Brexit will have on Kent, i.e. Kent being turned into a lorry park with portaloos everywhere, quote, dogging parks, um, litter, anti-Brexit, the anti-Brexit group arranged a, quote, military operation to relabel all of the signs along the Kent border. Close quote. So if you've ever driven into Kent, you'll know that there are signs that say, welcome to Kent. Then underneath it says, the Garden of England. These signs have been defaced by placing the word toilet over the word England, uh, over the word garden, sorry. So then now they read, the toilet of England. Around 26 of these signs have been altered. The group organised the change of signs under code name Operation Pisspot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it is a real concern, like I get that, but the thing that concerned me, me the most about this whole story was the fact that they couldn't get the font size right for a lot of the signs. Some of them look about right, some of them the font was just too big, the spacing was weird, and some of them had like weird capitalization. like come on, if you're going to organise a whole sign-changing strategy, get it right. So welcome That's to amazing. Ken, the toilet of England. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's just so oh my god childish how petty eh like he's so petty <laughs> i would have like done something more creative with like kent like with the e and kent and made it like a u or i don't know we could have done something more creative <laughs> exactly there's so many there were so many other options yeah but, um, I, I find like defaced road signs and defaced like street like name signs possibly one of the funniest things or like when there's the there's like the, a special sign that always gets stolen because it has a funny name on it and they have to keep replacing it. Yeah, mm. <laughs> I love those when they put like the trackers in the back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna confess, this was a I don't know, like 20 years ago now or something. Maybe not that many. I stole a road sign, like with <laughs> like my friends. Um, we stole a few. We were like on a rampage of st- sign stealing. I'm sure I can confess that now. I mean. <laughs> don't think I'll get in trouble for it now, but yeah, we did that. Where we, it was, uh, it was before sort of like everyone had a cell phone or a mobile phone, mm-hmm. and we stole the sign. But then um, my boyfriend at the time, his his truck battery like died, <laughs> so we we're stuck there, <laughs> and we ended up having to like go and knock on somebody's door at night to try to like use the phone to call to get help there. Oh my god. Then we but we had the sign, like we had all the stuff and basically we were stuck there. Yeah. Anyway. Youth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's all we have for today. Uh, check out our website, murderfriends.com. You can email us, murderfriendspod at gmail.com. Um, follow us on Twitter, murderfriendspd and Instagram, murderfriendspod. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.